Let's kick it off with some love for drift line. How are your drift lines working out? Oh man, the drift line shorts are so good. The board shorts, they're incredible. They, I've taken them on two trips now, one to Mexico, one to Indo. And um, they're simply without a doubt, the best board short I've ever worn. And, and you know, what really speaks to that is that they're, you don't even think about them. Like other times with board shorts, you're kind of like, oh, you know, maybe they hurt a little bit or you're getting a rash or whatever. The Driftline board shorts are so friggin' comfortable that uh, I'm just completely sold on them. I have two pairs now and really that's, uh, I'm set for board shorts for a long time. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah. I think you nailed it. And for listeners who haven't heard us talk about it previously, it's not just a board short. It's a patented wetsuit lined board short. So the exterior is a board short. It just looks like a board short. If anybody saw you wearing them, they would just think you're wearing board shorts. They can't see any of the neoprene. Uh, and the wet, the board short material itself is as good as any other board short material currently. You know, it's the high tech, four way stretch, quick dry, blah, blah, blah. Way better than the board shorts of our youth. But that interior neoprene is only half a millimeter. So it's, it's just warm enough, but it's also the compression is really more of the, I don't know, benefit for me than anything else. Um, it just keeps everything snug and secure. And I didn't even know I wanted everything snug and secure, but it's preferable. <laughs> it's somehow more comfortable to have the compression element and that little bit of padding too. Um, it's kind of ideal. Like the warmth is, I think the main selling point for them, but I don't necessarily need them for the warmth. I prefer the compression and the, uh, cushion aspect. So, yeah, look, do yourself a favor, go to driftline.co and, um, check out the, the drifties board short They're They're just, I, I'm almost speechless. Like they're just so much better than any other board short. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You get 15% off with our promo code. The promo code is the word spit super easy to remember. Um, so go indulge, enjoy just in time for summer and yeah, driftline.co. And then also real water sports, Scott, uh, we're coming in hot in about three weeks. We'll be there. Heck to the yes. Uh, real water sports. I've got my real water sports. Welcome to the stoked zone hat on. And David and I will be there. We're going to, I guess you could call it foiling camp. Is that the right way to phrase it? That's exactly what it is. Yes. We're going to foiling camp. It feels, it feels like I'm frankly, I'm a little bit afraid. I'm a little, I have some anxiety about it. I'm um, so, yeah, we're, we're going off together and um, we'll be writing letters home to our parents every, every other day to let them know how camp is going. And uh, <laughs> Scott and I are going to be sharing a bunk. Summer camp. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be, you know, then like right around sunset, we'll gather around the fire pit and sing songs. Yep. Get into ghost stories if we stay up extra late. Oh my God. I'm going to bring my headlamp. <laughs> Uh, so we're looking forward to it and obviously realwatersports.com is their website they're a full-scale retailer for surfboards everything but also foiling gear and in fact right now they're doing a used uh gear sale so they collect used gear from clients and then make that available and it's stuff that's like 70 percent off um and you know great deals on surfboards but if you've wanted to get into foiling and the hiccup was the expense, 
this is the time to dive into something like that. You don't necessarily need a brand new rig if you're getting into something new. So getting used might be the way to go. And it, again, 70% off, it's hard to beat. So, Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. 70% off used foiling gear. Sort of a no-brainer. Yeah, I'd say so. And then also one final thing, when we're out there, we're hosting a little meetup um, if you want to come. If anybody's in the area within driving distance, we're doing it at the bar that's adjacent, the restaurant bar that's adjacent to Real Water Sports. There's um, the place that we're staying is the Waterman's Lodge, and then they have the Waterman's Restaurant and Bar, Bar and Grill maybe. So come out, see that. It's on Wednesday. That would be the 19th of July, Wednesday the 19th at 6 until 8 p.m. So swing by, have a have dinner with us and our families, and just say hi. We'd love to see you guys. That, that'll be great. I'm looking forward to seeing folks. And, and I've re- received some DMs from some people saying, hey, we're looking forward to hosting you when you come out to North Carolina. So it's going to be good stuff. Amazing. Can't wait. Realwatersports.com. See some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit. 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 We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy, David. Yeah, friggin' guy. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, yeah, guy, David. It's spit. It's all things surf. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass here with you. We're talking, um, as I mentioned, all things surf on this Wednesday. It's June 21st, David. Do you know what June 21st means? I don't. It means summer solstice, David. Summer solstice, the day the sun stops, which is what summer solstice means, quite literally. And it's because. The ancients believed for just a short period, the sun actually stopped its movement and or, and or the earth, its movement around. I don't even know. I'm going to butcher this. Does the earth move around the sun? Yes. Or does the earth move around the moon or does the sun, or I, you know, help me out here. Either way, the sun's supposed to have stopped on this day, the summer solstice. So they probably thought that the sun moved around the earth back then and that this was the day that it stopped. By the way, I'm amazed that they even figured that out. They figured out there was one day that the sun stopped, even though they got it wrong. The fact that they were even dialing in the answer at that point is remarkable to me. I would go my entire life and never figure out the days in the month or the time, you know, any of it. Yeah. Well, as you know, perhaps there's all sorts of crazy archaeological sites for that. Um, the native American Indians here in North America and, and, and ancients all over the world have these incredible archaeological sites where they've got stones set up so that on this day, mm-hmm. the shadows are cast in such a way. I know there's one in New Mexico, and there's quite a few up in um, the South Dakota region where there's like, you know, certain boulders are put in a certain way so that everything lines up on this date. And of course, they have these incredible you know, month-long ceremonies where there was like skin piercing and probably some sort of, um, you know, magical elixir taken and meditations and dancing and all sorts of ritual that took place. And again, for a month, which I love that it's a month long, like the idea that ancient, that the Indian, Native American Indians were like, you know what, we've got plenty of time. We're in no hurry here. It's not going to be a two-hour meetup at a dinner. We're going to have a month-long ceremony. 
I know. And uh, well, it makes perfect sense cool. if you've lived in, um, I don't know what, um, not ignorance, but if you lived without the awareness of the way that time marches on, and then you figure out that the earth and the universe is calculating it and keeping track of things and you figure out and unlock a portion of that code, you would absolutely celebrate for a month and honor it within a month long ceremony every year <laughs> henceforth. You know what I mean? Cause that is an yeah. unbelievable uh, uh, thing to discover. It's incredible. Yeah. If we figured out way. if, if human beings figured out the cure for cancer in our lifetime, there would be an ongoing celebration, you know? <laughs> it would be a month long celebration. Oh my Lord. Well, you know, it's amazing. Like the age of enlightenment, um, you know, like Galileo, like guys were getting arrested for coming up with stuff like this too. You know, there was like popes that were like, you are threatening my power. I will arrest you for being so smart. I know it's really insane the way human beings work. Yeah. It's a good reminder to always show a little bit of dig, a little bit of grace for your fellow man. Yeah. And certainly when it comes to prosecuting them for telling the truth, but also in interactions with your friends and coworkers who may just misunderstand something. Yeah, it's, it is a really, you know, a sense of humility is such a great idea for me each and every day. Now I don't always uh, rise up to the occasion, but um, man, if I can just remember to just sort of at some point go, hey, maybe I can learn from this person rather than judge this person, then perhaps, um, you know, I'll have a smoother day. Yeah, that's a great posture to remind yourself of. Uh, I think that we all could, in fact. Well, hey, it has been way too long since I've seen you. You're looking somehow more chiseled than the last time I saw you. You're looking <laughs> happy. It feels like you're energetic. What do we attribute all yeah. of this to? Yeah, well, I had an incredible surf trip, David, and one that I highly recommend that you, my friend, go on. And, um, you know, all surf trips are, are sort of dependent on swell on some level, you know, and on low expectations as well, I think, especially as we get older, you know. And, um, and I, as, as many of you know, I went on this great trip to the Telos Islands in Sumatra, and um, it was awesome, man. The waves were insane. It was really, really great. And um, it was good. I mean, I can tell you a little bit about it if you're interested. I would love to hear about it. Well, let me say this. I've been out to the Mentawise nine times. Um, now, the Mentawise has a lot to offer, right? There's really great waves, green bush, macaronis, and rifles, and can do, and telescopes, HTs, Lance's Left, eBay. There are many, many other insane surf spots out there. I haven't even touched on them all in the Mentawise, right? But with the Mentawise, you get, you know, at least 10 land camps filled with surfers, 15 to 20 charter boats, each with 12 guys on it. And that's was actually, the Mentawise were a lot of fun. I got, I have great memories. And, and um, when I was younger, that was cool. But I no longer travel that far to surf crowded waves with a bunch of 21-year-old pros looking for glory. And frankly, if you're um, sort of a middle-aged surfer, I don't think you should either. You know, like nobody wants to go that far to, to have to have like charter boat anxiety, like how many boats are going to show up and drop anchor. And um, and, and that's what the Telos Islands and um, specifically surfing village where I stayed 
uh, it offers you, um, you know, you got to go a little further, but it's worth it because you get uncrowded surf, you get uh, great accommodations, incredible accommodations and super good food. Um, so anyway, we got plenty of swell. The biggest day was probably eight to 10 feet on the face. There were plenty of days that was five to seven feet. There were days when it was three to four feet. It was all good. I surfed by myself on numerous occasions, right out in front of my glorious bungalow, which overlooked this perfect right-hand reef break. I would literally wake up, post myself up without getting out of bed and look at the surf. I'd go get my cup of coffee. I'd scamper out onto the reef at sunrise. David, I literally pulled into tubes with the sun kissing me on the forehead. Um, and the most people in the water with me at any one time was maybe six guys, all from my camp, all from the guys at the surfing village camp. And it was all good. It was all, we were trading waves. Um, it was awesome. Now there are other surfers out there, you know, there are charter boats up in that region. People reach up and I've actually taken a charter boat up the, up into that region, um, past Neos up into the Banyaks. Um, when I was there, I saw two other charter boats, um, but Generally, everyone acts in accordance with sort of the rule of wait until one group is done surfing before you slowly leach out your gas into the lineup. And it's just simply not the mentalized free-for-all where, you know, six boats show up and drop anchor at HTs in the keyhole and you're like, oh God, 30 dudes. Um, so the trip to Surfing Village was epic, David. Um, I've already put my deposit down for next season. I'm sure if you've seen my Instagram, I'm sort of pimping uh, Surfing Village right now. If you if you mention Boardroom Show, you're going to get five percent off. But uh, regardless of that, I, I'm just um, I'm, I just had such a great trip that my son and I both have put down our deposits for next season. So I'm hoping, David, that you'll go out there. I think you'd friggin' love it, man. I mean, it's I it's like the wait. perfect trip. Yeah, I can't wait. It's it's really. I mean, like I said, I've been I've been out to this region a bunch of times, and um, I was just blown away. The food, you'd freak out on the food. Oh, by the way, there's a friggin' beach break. There's a beach break out there, David, that's insane. That just spits both ways, right? I mean, first of all, the waves out there, they range from super shallow, expert-only heaving tubes to rippable peaks for like your middle-aged intermediate surfer like us. Rights and lefts. There's killer lefts. There's killer rights. There's this beach break, which is like mind-blowing, crystal green persuasion, little spinning spitters. Um, the food, I mentioned chicken curry, coconut milk, mahi-mahi, fresh salads with balsamic vinaigrette, au gratin potatoes, lasagna, garlic bread, stewed garlic, lemon greens, omelets, breakfast burritos, scrambled eggs, fresh fruit. The food is incredible, as much as you could eat, and we ate a lot of it. Of course, a lot of people enjoy their bing tangs, and there's plenty of that. Um, the surfing guides, super helpful, uh, Bruno and Conrad and, um, Zeeland and Portini and Theo and the management staff out there, Lockie and Theo, and of course, Paulo, the owner of Brazilian owners, Paulo has got this insane origin story as to how he got to where he got at this place in the Telos, which by the way, I'm hoping to capture in podcasts next season. When I go there, yeah. I didn't bring all my gear but this guy's a heck of a storyteller and it's amazing. And it involves, you know, basically Paulo butting heads with destiny, basically saying you you shouldn't do this. And him, him saying, I'm going to do it. And, and serendipity sort of taking over. And at every 
loggerheads that came to him, he overcame it. And um, I'm looking forward to doing a podcast with him and really getting that origin story out there. But anyway, surfing-village.com, go check it out. Uh, If you're interested in an excellent surf trip, uh, this is the one for you. Great waves, great accommodations, great food. And, um, and I, you know, you can look at the pictures on their Instagram or mine. And, um, if you have any questions about it, just reach out to me on DM and, uh, and I can fill you in. But like I said, I've already booked for next season, which is rare for me. Usually when I leave Indo, I'm like, okay, I need, I need some time to kind of yeah recuperate, you know? Yeah. But, um, we left there just so surfed out that. Hank and I were like, let's just sign up again. Boom. And then when we did that, they're like, Hey, look, why don't you help us out? Why don't you talk about it? Mention it on your stuff. And, and, um, you know, we'll give you a little bit of a break. So full disclosure, I am getting a bit of a break if I, if I talk about it, but, uh, uh all the listeners know that I wouldn't call, uh, you know, that, that this is the real deal. And, um, and frankly, I wouldn't go back if I didn't love it, you know, because it's a bit of a mission to get there. Let me ask you a couple of things. Um, what boards did you end up bringing? So I brought the Rawson 6.6 Impala, which was a great call. I brought the Happy Every Day mm. by Channel Islands, which was a great call. And I brought the 5.11 Lis, sort of Lissy version quad fish from Ryan Sakel, okay. which was a great call. All four of those boards were great calls. I mostly rode... Well, when the waves were good, big, I rode the 6'6", six, six yeah. because the wave that I surfed, you know, required me to go as fast as I could humanly go to make the wave. And the 6'6", six, six quad fish that, that Pat Rawson, or quad fin that Pat Rawson made me, the Impala, was insane. I actually left that board with Paula because he, I could tell he had an eye on it. I had, I have ridden that board for probably... I don't know, six years. So I ordered a new one from Pat. So I'll have a new one coming for next season or hopefully this winter here in California. And um, the Happy Every Day by Channel Islands was incredible. I was so happy with that board, no pun intended. All the boards were insane. My son took the Sharp Eye that I had ordered. It was a 6-2 Sharp Eye. And he rode that as a step up. And um, he loved that board. And he left that board with one of the surf guides there. And, um, so the boards that I took were, were good choices good. to answer your question. And you said one day or maybe more than one day, it was like eight to 10 feet and kind of properly proper surf. Yeah. So as you know, from perhaps being out and around islands, when it's smaller at one place, you can go to another spot and it's just completely filling in and picking up the swell. It's a swell magnet. And there's this big left out there, just a, just like four minutes away by boat, that was absolutely picking up the south swell. And um, it was almost like too big, actually, out there. It was the kind of wave that the smaller, medium ones would hit the reef better, but the big ones would break way outside and just be kind of big, racy ones, you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of, you know, a little bit heart in your throat kind of you know, peeking around the corner and waiting for the sets to come. It was pretty big. So the question is, you know, at your age, being in that kind of situation, how did you fare? 
Oh yeah, no. Look, I did fine. Good. I was in. I'm in really good shape. Yeah, I know. But I'm glad I got into shape. Like, if you're yeah. in your mid fifties and you go out there, you need to you need to get your act together and get into shape. You well, know? the worst thing is when you find yourself on a trip and realize that you're not in shape. Yeah, and then and you're, I I had concerns about that, yeah. as you know. So I I've been getting in shape since January with my daughter. So which is part of why you've been getting in shape was knowing that this trip was coming up, even though you haven't stated that on air. No, I, you're full, full, uh, disclosure. Absolutely. You know, um, I will raise my hand and absolutely say that I'm glad I did it. And, and just as you know, we've talked about in the past, just in general, as you get older, you've kind of got to stay ahead of the curve yeah. or, or age gets to you. Yeah. Well, the reality is you've got so much time in the ocean that, um, when you're in a situation like that, you can really avoid, getting in a really precarious situation just because your ocean awareness is so much savvier at your age than it was when you were in your 20s. But you still need to be able to paddle into the wave, get up to your feet, and then, you know, do what you do. But the the other reality is that is where you do your best surfing at this age in your life is on waves that size. And so having your body fit so that you can put yourself into those scenarios to live to your full surf to your fullest potential is the ultimate goal. That is such a great point. You know, when you get older, it's easier to surf on bigger waves, yes. but being able to get into those waves and manage it from a physical standpoint is where there's some letdown exactly. perhaps by some. And, um, and believe me, I got smoked during that session. I probably got, you know, it was like when it was, it reminded me actually a lot of cloud break, um, it wasn't the same type of the cloud breaks are much gnarlier wave, but the way that there's these open ocean sets that just show up, like there, it almost felt like there was no amount of paddling to the shoulder that you could do to, to get away from mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Like when there's West sets at cloud break, when you're just like, oh, where did that set even come from? It just popped up and there's five of them bearing down on you. So during that session, I got completely smoked way more. I probably caught four waves and got smoked by 40. How good, but, um, how good does it feel to get, it was all good. It was all like, yeah. it was all fine. It was all like, you know, no, no big deal. Well, that, how good does it feel to get smoked once in a while? Like it makes you feel alive. Surviving it is what feels good. But when you come out of that scenario and you're like, oh my gosh, it yeah. feels like being a kid again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for that. And, um, and it was just a great, great surf trip. I mean, it, it you know, it was just fabulous. So okay. surfing-village.com, go check them out. So mention boardroom show. Other questions. You can get a little discount. Yeah. Other questions. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I had one before I was going to ask you about your son, but I'll go to your son. Have you taken a lot of one-on-one trips with your son? And was it one-on-one or did you have other people there? No, it was just he and I. Um, I have gone to Bali with him before. In fact, 10 years ago when he was 13. 14 we surfed Uluwatu together which was like kind of a fun you know probably funner for me than it was for him because I was like this is great I'm pushing my 13 year old son out into out to Uluwatu and he was kind of like in fact I paddled out and he didn't go out I was like dude let's go come on I'm going you know and I paddled out and I was like I guess he's not coming out you know and then the full proud father moment when he just popped his head up next to me all of a sudden, he's like, oh, I made it out here, you know, like, oh my God, this is so great. See, it's not that bad. And so that was 10 years ago that we did that. And of course we've done numerous, he's a big skier. He works in Montana as a, as a, uh, as a ski patrol guy. And so he, 
we've done many trips to the mountains and fishing and stuff like that. And how's his uh, is how's his competence? Oh, on he a was surf ripping. Trip? Okay, good. No, he was absolutely ripping. Good. He was completely ripping. Like I was so he, I was blown away actually by how great he was surfing. Awesome. It was insane. Well, yeah. I was just what a wonderful opportunity to spend time together for an extended period of time. I mean, there's so many, um, as young people grow up, they just don't want to hang with their parents anymore, generally, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. it's such a rare and awesome opportunity for you guys to have together. Yeah. Doing something super that you both love, yeah. Yeah, it was really cool, um, for sure. What about, where did all these images come from? Did you have a photographer with you, and did they get the good days? Yeah, so the the photographers in the camp, it's, you know, you pay for the photos, uh, the photo privileges or whatever, and it's well worth it. I mean, if you're going to go all the way out there, you might as well get imagery. And yeah, the photographer, his name's Conrad Conrado, super cool guy, just the nicest guy and a great photographer. And he took tons of photos and, um, and luckily the, the waves were pumping. So we've got a bunch of great images Good. and, um, he was right there at each and every, you know, moment. Like he was on top of it. So Good. it was cool. Yeah. The ones that yeah. you've posted on Instagram thus far show so much of what you're talking about. Um, they gave me a good idea of the time that you had before you talked about it here. A couple of uh, really sick, playful, fun, right barrels. Like the rights is just like, oh my gosh, how much more fun could you possibly have than that? Like shoulder to head high, barreling, rippable. And then that big backside bottom turn with the spray just shooting off is like, that board, those fins are insane. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got is a bottom turn. You know, you're not going to see any top turns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looks sick. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what's really radical. Like what kind of blew me away is the beach break. The fact that there's a beach break out there in those islands, which I don't know. I guess it's not that big of a deal from a geological perspective, but I was like, wow, there's beach break out here. It just so, kind of blew me away. So is it walkable from... The resort? Oh, yeah. Okay, right there? Oh, no, no. You got to take a boat. Okay, got it. You take a boat. It, but all of the waves are within 10 minutes max. It's not like some gnarly 30-minute boat ride where you're going, da-ding, da-ding, da-ding. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, boom, boom, you're right there. And there's numerous waves out there. There's like at least 10 waves that you can surf right there. But the beach break, so, what would you compare it to? What other beach break? Um, well, it's just a sand, obviously, it's a sand bottom. And it, it's kind of reminded me of blacks a little bit, or maybe like, um, so kind of long breaks. It's super shallow and it's super hollow. It's, it's not for, you gotta be an expert surfer. Yeah. Like every way, like every way of heaves onto a super shallow bottom and spits. But like lots you of know, water when, moving or clean? Super clean, okay. super clear. So like gravels? Um, some rips. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't, I've never, I've rarely surfed Salt Creek, but, um, New, it's kind of hard. Newport. You know what, it, you know, do you remember, um, maps to nowhere on Surfline yeah. where they surfed that beach break? I think it was the Canary Islands or somewhere. Yeah. I don't even know where it was. Maybe it wasn't the Canary Islands, but there was that crystal blue beach break that Brett Barley and those guys were surfing off on that Surfline special yeah. called maps to nowhere. It was very similar to that. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. Cool, man. Well. Awesome. Well done. Well executed. Well, you know, like I said, it's, 
every every surf trip is swell dependent but i would have been super happy just surfing three to four footers out there like well, that, you know what i mean yeah like, that's the thing you wanted your a, expectation well you wanted a time of year where you were guaranteed to get three to four footers so the fact that you got more yeah. than that is the benefit the bonus yeah so and the season's just flaring up i mean as you know the indian ocean season runs through september so. yeah awesome well um do you know what's been going on in the surf world since you've been gone have you been tracking anything I've been kind of trying to follow it. I, I don't know too much. I, I, the big thing that kind of popped up on my thing was the Saudi Arabian wave pool oh, yeah. that is massive and the Kelly Slater wave company is a part of. But tell me, what, what do you got for me? Here? Well, the El Salvador event took place, um, which I don't know. Did you pay attention to that at all or should we recap nope. it? Okay, well, there's no... You can recap it. I mean, I'm interested in it. I've been trying to catch up on it, but I... So the, the, I'll give you the quick notes on it. Uh, Felipe Toledo and Griffin Colapinto met in the final, which was kind of a redo of last year's final. And also Griff had a bunch of controversy coming out of surf ranch where he won that event, but a lot of the people considered Idolo, you know, thought that Idolo surfed better. So to see Griff kind of rise to the top again is a storyline. Him matching against Felipe is a storyline. Felipe actually beat Griffin in the final this time. Um, Caroline Marks took a win over Tyler Wright. And to be perfectly honest, the event was lackluster until the finals. I I tried to watch the event and never really found myself uh, too interested in it. The reality is, and we've covered this before, that wave looks super fun for you and I to surf. It is not doing a service to the World Surf League surfers. And yes, Felipe Toledo shreds it, and that's incredible, and so does Griffin Colapinto, those style of surfers, but it's a total disservice to John John Florence, complete disservice to Kelly Slater, Jack Robinson, you know, a few others. So, And they all lost in the early rounds. So I, I find myself watching it and thinking, okay, this is, I could see this exact type of content on Instagram or any one of five edits that came out in the last two weeks, this quality of surfing. So what the World yeah. Surf League really should be doing is not trying to compete with what a random ripper is doing on Instagram. They've got the world's best surfers. They should be surfing the world's best waves and be doing something that we can't see anywhere else, of course. you know. But we've already discussed that ad nauseum. Uh, what it ultimately came down to was Nothing was too exciting until the final. And then I tuned in and I watched Felipe and Griff and they were going toe to toe, blow for blow. So somebody posts a big six, five or seven, five. And you're like, wow, that was pretty exciting. Next guy gets an eight. Wow. That was exciting. And it was teeter tottering back and forth until ultimately Griff. I mean, ultimately Felipe was the, um, clear winner in my mind. He was just like a little, he was one point better than Griff on every, you know, uh, scoring exchange. Uh, so, but ultimately coming out of this, I have the conclusion, which is at the end of the year, I still don't feel like we're going to know who the best surfer in the world is. We're going to know who the best surfer in shoulder high rippable waves is. And that is Felipe Toledo. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, that wave for you and I, and for the, everyone that's listening is a super fun wave to surf. And I've surfed it numerous times. I'm sure you have too. It's and El Salvador is a great place to go visit. I did see something came across one of my Substack feeds about 
the president of El Salvador and his push for the surf city thing that he's done. And he, the, the, the nation state of El Salvador has put a bunch of money into surfing as um, a, a part of their rejuvenating, uh, rejuvenating their economy. And um, there were some questions on this in this article about this president who apparently is beloved by the El Salvadorians, but is also an authoritative dictator. Yeah. And he even like embraces it. Like he goes, like he's the most beloved dictator in the world or is one of his catch lines or something like that. And so obviously there's a lot of ISA events in El Salvador. There's the WSL events in El Salvador. El Salvador's um, promoting the crap out of bringing surf tourism to its nation. And they're doing a good job of it. I think somewhere there's probably a deep dive story, investigative journalism story that won't ever be done about these things I just mentioned. And I don't know where that would take us, but um, well, here's my thoughts. Know, how, how in bed are, are these surf organizations with this authoritarian dictator? And is that okay? Or does everyone, does nobody even give a crap and maybe nobody cares? And quite frankly, I'm not sure I do. Well, my thoughts on it are, there's definitely human rights concerns in El Salvador. Um, I haven't done a deep dive either, but from what I've seen, it's related to anti-gay, uh, you know, um, politics and stuff like that. And then, of course, treatment of prisoners, um, stuff like that. So there is politically, you can get yourself into a real confusing zone if you're just like fully supporting the dictator without acknowledging any of the bad stuff. So I don't think you can go full support, but you can support certain policies or be approving of certain policies. And so, yeah, Stab Magazine did an article about their the country's investment into the surf world. And they're investing into basically professional organizations like the ISA and the WSL in hopes of attracting a bunch of tourism throughout the rest of the year surfing audiences watch those events and then they want to come surf those waves essentially. So they're throwing money at the organizations. So my point or my kind of opinion about all of that as a commentator is the WSL should have a business model that allows them to make the right decisions for their purposes and their end goals and ultimately for their business. They should not be making their business decisions based on or making the decisions on where to run surf events based on this sort of a thing. I feel like this allows the government to get exactly what they want out of the WSL, but this doesn't necessarily allow the WSL to get what they want, you know? And in fact, they are getting what they want because all they want is the paycheck at this point. What I would like to see the WSL is for them to want to run in the best waves in the world. You know, and so if their decision, if their ultimate goal was to run in the best waves in the world, then they would be, uh, they would be doing that. They would be making different decisions. But the fact that they're just taking whoever's willing to put money towards them, whatever government is willing to, uh, supplement that because they don't have a functioning business model instead is a problem for me. I would rather they just had a functioning business model that allowed them to make the best decisions for them rather than be reliant on stuff like this. Yeah, well, agreed. Well said. I mean, uh, best waves. Waves are the stars. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, and they, they haven't been, obviously, this year on tour. But we've covered that as well, ad nauseum. 
Um, so the next event though is Brazil and then J Bay in quick succession after Brazil. So I'm really looking forward to J Bay Brazil. Not so much. Uh, Kelly Slater just posted on Instagram yesterday, um, that he's sick. Like (laughs) this, this to me is old peak Kelly because he puts effort into, uh, convincing us that this isn't all like a foregone conclusion. We know Kelly Slater never goes and surfs Brazil. Rarely, right? He pulls out of Brazil notoriously throughout his career. And he's been gifted wild. He's already didn't make the cut, but he's been gifted wild cards throughout the back half of the season. So he's got an entry into Brazil. And we said early in the season, this is a wasted wild card. Why wouldn't he just offer it to Ramsey Bukayam, you know, who tried to get on tour for the last 12 years, finally qualified, got injured. Now he's ready to surf again. And yet he's not able to because he didn't surf the first half of the season, didn't make the qualification cut. He should get the wild card, not Kelly. Ramsey would have been keen to surf Brazil, but Kelly took the wild card. We know Kelly's never going to go to Brazil anyways. And sure enough, a couple days before the event, he posted an Instagram story last night with his Uva ring thing that tracks like your heart rate and your temperature (laughs) and all that. He goes, wow, look at, here's my temperature. I've had the flu for the last, I'm on day five of the flu Here's my temperature spikes and my heart rate and all that, man, I'm really not feeling great. That's a precursor Mm. to him pulling out of Brazil. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I love that his mood ring is determining whether he goes to Brazil. But I'm also like, we already knew you were never going to go to Brazil. You could just pull out. But the fact that he puts all this effort into the story of why, no, really, look, I'm sick. I promise I'm sick, everybody. Here's my screenshot of it is like really diabolical. Yeah, it's funny. I was picking my fantasy team just like an hour before we went on the air. And I was scrolling, you know, I was picking. And then down at the bottom there, Kelly Slater was an option. I was like, there's no way Kelly's going to be in Brazil. So I just chose somebody else. Right. I didn't even know about this Instagram post and his mood ring. Yeah, exactly. So who'd you pick? Who's on your team? Oh, gosh. Let me see. I mean, I could pull it up here. So I'm in um, the loser league for survival still. Oh, are you still doing that? Yeah. Well, I jumped into the losers league when I got the opportunity and I've, yeah, I've made every event since then. Oh, good for you. Yeah. So Felipe Toledo is my pick for the losers league. Um, he's the most winning surfer in Brazil and obviously he's in, I think he's in, is he in first after? No, I think Griff's still in first. Maybe I forget. Well, I pulled up my team just so you know, for Brazil, I've got Felipe Toledo, Gabe Medina, Iago Dora, Ilo Ferreira. Notice what my move here. I've got four Brazilians. Yeah. I've got John John, Kanoa, Rio Wada. Okay. Interesting. And I took Samuel Pupo over Kelly Slater. Okay. Well, yeah. the current top five for the record after um, mm-hmm. the last event, El Salvador, is Griffin in first. Very narrow margin over Felipe Toledo, then Joao Chianca. Ethan Ewing, Gabriel Medina in fifth. Yeah, I mean, look, it's weird. Jow strikes me as a guy that's just almost not light-footed enough for, for trestles. You know, he's the one, when I look at this group, I go, okay, he's the one that I think, you know, would struggle the most. Um. I, I, you know, I just don't think, I think, I don't think you could look, I don't think you could look past Felipe at trestles. I agree. No, there's no doubt. I mean, 
I would love to see, frankly, a Trestles. It'd be good if it was Idolo, Gabe, Felipe, Griffin, and Ethan. Yeah. I The one thing that would create a little disruption would be if it was giant Trestles, like it was two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Where it's almost too big. That's where somebody like John John or Ethan, I think, could unlock a different dimension. Yeah. I mean, Felipe still shines in those conditions too, but those guys have just that little bit of extra muscle and a little extra gear that maybe Felipe wouldn't. Well, let me ask you this. I, I, when you think about big trestles and you think about, okay, what we really want to see is guys going for aerial maneuvers on the first maneuver of the wave, like you know, the very first section, we want to see you going for broke, risk reward. And when I think of that, and here's my question to you, I sense that the left is, I don't want to say easier, but more, um, is it applicable? It's its just, it, it, it opens itself up to do that big first yeah. maneuver aerial on the left rather than on the right, where the right, you're kind of racing it and trying to get around a section. Yeah. And then maybe on the second section, you can do something. But the left seems like you can immediately do a big aerial out the back first maneuver. So the reality is both the right and the left have a ramp off the first section. The difference is the right is still running down the line. And so you would really need to do hit that ramp and do that air transition into that down the line section and speed and be able to kind of continue your ride. Whereas the left, it goes flat between the first ramp and then the end section. So that's why you see a lot of guys hitting the left ramp, landing, being able to kind of get the, their stuff sorted and still make the rest of the wave, you know. Which I guess begs the question, will the judges acknowledge that? In other words, a big aerial out the back on the right with transition and making the wave is way harder than on the left. Yeah. And will the judges make that acknowledgement? Yeah, I think hopefully they would and hopefully they should. Uh, so that would be, that's another storyline we should probably touch on is we discussed the judging controversy at Surf Ranch. And I feel like the judges got things correct in El Salvador. You know, there was no controversy in El Salvador, but the one at Surf Ranch was a lot of uh, Brazilian fans uh, attacking and even threatening violence against Ethan Ewing and some of the other surfers on tour. And we're going to Brazil now in two days. And so it'll be yeah. interesting to see how the WSL manages the security policy. Um, certainly they have security at the event sites that can get the competitors to and from the water. Although it's a lot of, I don't know how effective that security is when you have thousands and thousands of fans and you have three security guards, you know what I mean? Protecting the surfer. It's really, things could erupt very, very easily into a bad situation. But I'm also curious more about the security for the surfers outside of the contest zone, because they still have to get to their hotel and back and to restaurants at night and all that sort of stuff. And it's such a compact city that um, you're, 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 you know, you're within shoulders distance to strangers constantly as you're moving about. So curious what that policy looks like. Well, it's funny, uh, you know, um, I don't know if this speaks to my sort of sorted mental state, but I'm actually looking forward to Brazil because of this, like in a weird way, I kind of want to see the car wreck mm. and I hope it doesn't happen. But I mean, look, anytime there's 
threats of physical violence towards uh, the competitors, um, you're sort of kind of going, wow, is it going to, is this going to take place? Is this really going to happen? It kind of, it's almost got like a January 6th thing where you're like, I'm going to watch because who knows what could happen? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reality is there's I mean, it's nothing not the to waves. The waves aren't the reason why I'm excited. I'm excited because there could be some really scary drama that occurs and I hope it doesn't, but part of me is like, maybe it's gonna, you know, and again, maybe that speaks to my well mental disease. Well, two things. There's nothing to watch because the cameras won't be on for that part of the car wreck, yeah. you know? Yeah. And number two, I've gotten a lot of messages from Brazilian listeners and fans who yeah. uh, are like, man, it's really a shame that those one or two or three bad apples yeah. are, um, you know, are their message is being so amplified because this is yeah. so not reflective of my, my views or any of the other Brazilian surf fans that I know, like we're thrilled to have the surfers come. We're thrilled to be able to see competition, even if it gets aggressive. Like we want, we, we enjoy the competition aspect. There's no way that we condone any of this. And so I almost wish you guys wouldn't talk about those death threats yeah. because they're just not yeah. reflective of the broader culture. I think that's absolutely true. There's a vocal minority of just, I mean, it's so easy for a 15 year old, you know, kid that doesn't have his wits about him to say some stupid thing on the internet and to have it blown out of proportion. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think that's what the, you know, the case is. And there isn't any, I mean, like name me a more exciting beach environment than Brazil when there's, you know, I mean, they are passionate and they're, and it's, and it's kind of exciting. I mean, it is exciting. Yeah. It's not kind of exciting. It's exciting when there are, you know, whatever, 30, 40,000 people on the beach fired up watching these guys rip. And so, um, I agree with you and I agree with the people writing into us that, um, that, you know, the Brazilian fan base is, is awesome yeah. and is respectful yeah. and it, and there's going to be bad apples everywhere. There's bad apples here, man. There's bad oh apples gosh, yeah. everywhere. Well, Freaks everywhere. Well, as we're discussing contests, um, have you seen the Skeleton Bay shootout? I saw some of that on Instagram. I just tell me more about it. I didn't see much other than, you know, guys just standing in fat pits. Was there a contest there? Yeah. Well, it's, according to their Instagram, there's a disclaimer that says, quote, this is not a surf contest. We just love watching people get ridiculously shacked, whether it's your, whether they're a pro or a local Joe. And this was not advertised in advance at all, from what I could tell. Just two or three days ago, I'm scrolling, and Now Now Media posted somebody getting shocked. They're like, this is the swell currently. And they said, for the next 24 hours or however long the swell lasts, we're documenting the action live from the uh, Namib Desert and posting highlights and beatdowns as the swell unfolds. And a little cherry on top, we'll be awarding the wave of the swell thirty thousand Namibian dollars, contest uh, <laughs> Curtis, what's, courtesy. What's that equal? Sixteen hundred US. Is that three bucks? Huh? Sixteen hundred US. Sixteen hundred. Right, well, that's better than nothing. Yeah, it is totally. And uh, but that's courtesy of Monster Energy. So oh, cool. so yeah, I mean, who, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth <laughs> in the mouth, no, right? No, no, you don't. So right. it's not a ton of money, but it's like, shoot, if you're going out there and you're going to get the barrel of your life, and you get the sixteen hundred bucks on top of it, of course, yeah, you, you're thrilled yeah, for that. And for by sure. the way, good job for Now Now Media, and it looked like Alan Van Geisen as well is there documenting it. 
good good on them for even organizing and publishing something like this. I think it's nothing but rad that they're doing this. And then after I saw that, it quickly soon, or shortly thereafter, it looked like uh, Stab got involved as well. And I even heard that maybe Sam McIntosh is there. So I don't know if this was organized and I know monster does a lot of partnerships with stab. So maybe there is some connection there and we'll hear more about it, but it really just bubbled up organically in my Instagram feed without any, um, pre advertising. And it's, well, you know what this sounds like? What? This sounds like a dry run for the purple blob tour. It really does. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. And it sounds like monsters like, look, let's just, let's just take it easy. Let's take it slow and easy here. And let's just, try a, an early run. Let's see if now, now media can get us enough eyeballs to make this thing, get some legs, you know? Yeah. And maybe it's wishful thinking, but um, well, this is how you do it. I think this is exactly how you do it. I wonder if it wasn't really that well thought out, but they were going, they saw the swell, those local, the local media, uh, now, now, and Alan, they were like, we're going and we've got a crew of a couple of guys, but you know what? Let's make a call to Monster. Let's make a call to Stab. See if we can get them yeah. partnered with us and help us kind of roll the whole thing out and we'll just do it on the fly because we're going to be there and shooting it anyways. Um, yeah. Whereas the 20 foot plus thing that Surfline is doing is a little bit more orchestrated and they have a larger platform to showcase everything. But the the yeah. point is you are correct the Purple Blob Tour is now implementable because of modern technology, the, the seamlessness, the ease of it, the inexpensiveness of it. And so I think we're going to see various things like this. It's almost a race. It's an arms race to get to who's going to roll it out the quickest and the most efficiently. Yeah, I think you're right. And um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Stab is is behind it at some point. Like Sam's got the, um, I mean, first of all, it's not a secret. You know what I mean? No. Like it's not that hard to figure out. This is a really good business model if in fact it pencils out. And uh so anyway, we'll see what happens. But this is basically it. This and what, what Surfline's doing with 20 foot plus and that crew of big wave surfers is basically, you know, this is the kind of the model that we're looking for. Put the best surfers in the world, more importantly, in the best waves in the world. They don't even have to be the best surfers in the world. No. As is proof by the Instagram footage I saw of some goofy foot. I don't even know who he was, but he was just standing in this friggin' thing forever. I know. Yeah, the, I, the clip that I saw, by the way, was a female surfer from the Basque region um, oh. of Spain, I believe. I think she's 50% Basque, 50% Swiss. Her name's Nadia. Aristarby or something like that. Um, and I was just mm -hmm. like, I've never heard of her before. And she's just freaking, she's getting fully shacked like the craziest barrel ever, you know? So I think that that is the cool thing about events like this is that there are so many underground rippers that, um, are entertaining to watch, you know? So it's great to see them rise to the top, but I have a question for you specifically about this. This came up about a month ago. Um, Nathan, Florence and Koa uh, Rothman have a podcast that they're doing, the Nate and Koa show, I think it's called. And so they had mm -hmm. Eli Olson on and they were actually saying that they don't feel that it's fair that Surfline can broadcast their waves live in these 20 foot plus events. They were saying Surfline runs ads on the broadcast. They're the ones that make money, but we're the ones who are putting our, our lives on the line and paying all of the expenses to get there. 
they said that their content should belong to them and that their subscribers should be the first ones to get that content. Um, what are your thoughts on them mm-hmm. thinking that and feeling that? Well, you know, it's one of these things where they're right, you know, but it's tough. It, it, it's tough. You know, who has, who has rights? How about this? Okay. You, you, you're right. But guess what? Now nobody sees anything. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and Nathan and color are in a position where they're doing pretty good for themselves. So they can kind of speak out and go, you know what? I don't want them to show my waves because those belong to me, but there's guys, other guys in the 20 foot plus sort of realm that are like, Hey man, we've been begging to get this footage out there so people can see what we do and we're not sponsored or barely. And we're trying to keep the dream alive here. And this is an option that we came up with and it makes sense. And we're, you know, we're getting our brands out there through, through riding these big waves. And um, we're, we're thankful that Surfline's posting this footage. And so, you know, you get part of the labor market that's taken care of, that has money and that is putting their foot down and saying, no, and then you got part of the labor market that's like, we'll take anything we can get. Yes. And um, and Nathan and Koa obviously have a, a a voice through their podcast where they can they can say, hey, we don't, you know, so I guess the, the answer is then don't show up. Yeah. You know, Nathan and Koa don't need to show up for those things. You know, now they're going to say, hey, I'm at the big swell. You know, I'm here. This is what I do. Surfline's the one that shouldn't show up or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. And so I don't know. Well, I'm sure that can all be worked out behind the scenes. Like don't, when I take off on a wave, don't turn on your camera or whatever, you know? And then that's going to kind of come back to haunt them. I think on some level, it seems, it seems too early to be kind of putting up a union, sort of a unionist collectivist type of, um, you know, model or paradigm or, or tone. Yeah. I think, um, they, Nathan and Koa both understand this modern, ever-evolving media landscape so much better than almost anybody else, and they get so much of it right, but they got this one entirely wrong. Um, Surfline is their ally, and Surfline only, A, validates what they're doing, and B, shares it with more and more people, and to not under... And that's the exact media model that they've been operating under anyways, is like free for all, more clicks the better, blah, blah, blah. And so the fact that they're now feel... They've gotten to a point of where they're now feeling proprietary about the exact model that gave them everything by free for all exchange, I think is totally misguided and wrongheaded at this point. And they need to really reevaluate that position. Surfline can be and should be and is your ally. They want the best for you. All of the viewers on Surfline are rooting for you, want you. And so to take kind of a negative stance at any of that, I think is just, it's wrong. Yeah, no, I don't even know if it's a negative stance. I, I do understand feel, where they're feel, coming from. To feel from. taken advantage of by it is wrong. Yeah, I, f- I feel like there probably could have been some, and maybe there was, some communication between them in back channels, and it didn't need to be put out there. Well, they're probably you know, just trying to come up with talking realm. points for their podcast. You know what I mean? Like, hey, let's have a little yeah. back and forth controversy or whatever. And so I understand that part of it for sure. But yeah. I just think, look, you're getting more exposure than you would have without them. 
And yeah, your fans probably should get unique content, but you can still create unique content. You've got your own filmers. You're going to have different angles. You're going to be able to shoot different things. And you're going to have all the behind the scenes stuff anyways that Surfline doesn't have. So all of that is makes allows you to execute your original goal, which is giving first access to your subscribers, you know? Like don't yeah. don't fuse Surfline as stepping on your toes. They're only broadening the path that you can walk, you know? So you're you're fine. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And you're right. Surfline's basically your marketing vehicle. Totally. Because like, you're going to have better stuff. And I don't know one surfer that hasn't gone, I'm going to look at the Surfline version and I'm not going to look at the Nathan Florence version. I mean, we're all going, Nathan's is going to be better. Let's go. You know, Nathan's going to have incredible insights and stuff. And well, so yesterday, you know, yesterday, Nathan dropped a new vlog episode and um, documenting his slab hunting mission, which is incredible, dude. I mean, this guy, he is doing some of the most exciting surfing on the planet currently. And yeah. I, uh, so much of my, I don't know, surfing life, I, I really didn't care about big wave surfing, slab surfing. I was just focused on high performance and whatever else. And it's like, but there's, it's undeniable that his style of surfing and what he's chasing is just super heroic and compelling and interesting to watch. And so, um, he dropped a new video yesterday and it's the same video or it's the same session that he's documenting that Dylan Longbottom had that horrific wipeout on. Did you see Dylan Longbottom's thing? No. Oh, geez. Okay. Let me get, get into Dylan's then. Um, last Saturday. Dylan's getting too old for this, man. He's 40. <laughs> Dylan needs to retire. He's 49. Yeah, I know. He's, he's got a daughter that does it better than him. I <laughs> Suma, Suma Longbottom. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'll pull just some uh, pull quotes from Derek Riley's piece. And then he actually interviewed Dylan. So Dylan, I'll quote direct from Dylan as well. Yeah. But Derek said last Saturday, uh, the shaper and I'm sorry. Yeah. The shaper and former pro surfer Dylan Longbottom was gifted a front row seat to his mortality after being driven chest first into a limestone pinnacle at a wave that he and others describe as the heaviest in Australia. Longbottom, who is 49, or at least was uh, on a slab hunting tour of with his pretty naturally talented 20-year-old daughter, Suma. A few weeks back, they were at Shipsterns in Tasmania, which was followed by Victoria, and then last week, a detour to South Australia. Dylan's quote says, it was a, uh, it was a big day, huge period, 18 seconds. The biggest slabs, the gnarliest slab in Australia, I was with Kip Cody, uh, Nathan Florence, Jerome Sayoon, who's a Moroccan big wave charger, and they all agreed it was the biggest. Uh, it was six to 10 feet, some 12, maybe a 15 footer. I towed Jerome into a bunch, then Noah Dean and Harry Bryant. Then it was my turn. I got one and it turned out, in, it turned into a mutant. I was already committed. I had my line, so I was just going for it. Then it gurgled out and I fell right out of the bottom and the bottom fell out completely. Worst spot on the biggest wave of the day. I got sucked over the falls and then the first impact I didn't hit, but on the second impact, I got impaled on a limestone pinnacle. It's not a flat bottom there. It's more like pipeline. I landed right on my chest and it went and it poked through my impact suit blew out my rib cage, punctured my lung. I didn't know it at the time. I was just out. Of, I just thought I was out of breath. I was struggling for breath. 
and in a world of pain. Then Kip and Jerome came up and they saved me on the ski. That was it, just one and done. So that was his first wave. And then he was extracted from the water. And interestingly, he didn't take it super seriously. He's been through enough kind of bad wipeouts that he thought like, oh, I'm just out of, uh, you know, got the wind knocked out of me essentially. So he drank some beers, took some painkillers, went home. And then he woke up in the middle of the night and was like in a real world of pain. So they loaded him up. Um, they did a long, let me see how long it was, uh, overnight, 12 hour drive to, oh my God. uh, to the South Australian capital of Adelaide and then a two hour flight to Sydney. So he was dealing with this for a long time, but he eventually made it to the trauma ward and they identified that his ribs were broken badly, like in a car crash. So they put tubes into his lungs to drain them. One lung was partially collapsed. The other wasn't working at all. The doc said I was lucky to survive the flight because of the pressure in the cabin. I could have gone into cardiac arrest. So after surgery on Friday, Dylan spent the weekend in the ICU. And then he was yesterday released to recuperate at home. They're expecting that he'll have two months out of the water or thereabouts. And uh, yeah, that's the update. That's horrific. I had no idea that it was well, that gnarly i wouldn't have made a joke about it earlier in the in our cast here no but but it's true i mean i think your joke is kind of accurate um but they have footage of it so i don't know if nathan's blog has it but i know i have the actual youtube link i'll post it with today's show the footage the footage of the wipeout is gnarly and they've got it from multiple angles and it's exactly what he said it's this mutant wave that it's like you see his line but at those slabs the line changes you know instantly and so everything looks great until the bottom completely sucks out and there was nowhere for him to go and so he just pokes i think i saw this i might have seen this on instagram was it on instagram i didn't see it on insta but it has to be yeah um but he pokes And you know where at those mutant slabs where the concave of the barrel is like, it looks like a four foot wave, but the back is 15 feet of water. You know, it's just so weird the way those waves fold on themselves. So he's just on like six feet of face, but there's 15 feet of water growing behind him. So he gets sucked up into that. And that 15 feet is what he goes over the falls with in the worst, like the most intense part of where the wave is breaking. And obviously he said the first slam he didn't hit, but the second slam he did. And the bottom there is basically stalactites or stalagmites, you know, like poking uh, bits of reef, limestone reef. And so he got slammed right onto one of those on his chest. So worst case scenario for Dylan, but thankfully there were people on the ski there that could extract him from the water and, uh, and he could survive because in years past without water rescue, without life vest and that impact vest alone probably saved him largely from being actually impaled, you know? Wow. So, Well, he's a super cool guy. I've interviewed him for the boardroom podcast. He's, he's been over to the house here and had some oolong tea and I just really enjoyed his company. He was, he's got that real kind of, I guess it's an Australian spirit, but he, that's sort of like, you know, get back on the horse and ride it again. Like there's really a kind of a happy go lucky vibe. That's kind of scary. That's kind of like, dude, like, you know, like maybe it's time to, because I remember I might've even asked him, I'm like, when do you stop? When are you going to stop? Like, it's kind of like, you know, but I forget exactly what went down, but 
he was just from I, I the sense I got was that he was just um just a happy and hard charger and will never stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well it'd be interesting, yeah, if he still feels that way after this experience. Yeah. And his daughter was with him, you know, and like she was on the boat when he came to when he came back to the boat. So she witnessed yeah. all of it and it'd be a harrowing experience to go through together. And by the way, like you said, she charges slabs too. And so oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know of another father-daughter duo. I mean, Josh Kerr and Sierra Kerr are doing something, but not in slab surf like that, you know? Yeah. So um, that's an interesting dynamic for sure. Yeah. Well, we're, we're excited that he's, be- you know, he's going to get better. He's on his way back. So that's good. And I'm glad he's helped, you know. Yeah. I'm glad it wasn't worse is what I mean to say. And, um, but the footage is definitely yeah. early. And like I said, Nathan Florence was there for that. And so... That's an interesting blog to watch too. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Um, speaking of father, daughter, we were talking about father, son shaping duos previously. Yeah. I got a phone call from Nick Timponi. Would you like to hear it? I would. Yes. Okay. Hold on. Let me play it. For you. Hey, what's up guys. This is Nick from Maui. Um, calling for a spit podcast with DLS and Scott Bath. Long time listener, first time caller. Um, listening to your guys recent episode where you discussed the stab in the dark. You also talked about second generation shapers. I guess basically there's this issue that's been racking around in my head. I was lucky enough to grow up uh, with a father who's a shaper, but he would identify as a board builder because he does more than shape. We talk about this every once in a while, and uh, this was obviously a conversation when shaping machines became such a um, commonplace thing in the surfboard world. But uh, since there's no real authority to guide us on this information, I figure Scott Bass and David would have uh, some something to say about it. 
how do we define what a shaper is and what is shaping? On one hand, I just listened to the Andrew Kidman podcast where he was uh, no hesitation called out using a uh, CNC machine as bullshit if you called yourself a shaper. But uh, on the other hand, we have uh, people that are doing it very successfully with the CNC machines, and they're considered shapers as well. Um, and how involved do you have to be to be considered a shaper? Can you get boards milled on a machine and then screen them out? Are you a shaper? Or do you have to do it old school? Templates, saw it out, mow foam with your planer. You know, this may be as subjective as surfing is in general. But I thought it would be interesting to get your guys' take on it. And I think it's worth discussing because there seems to be some pretty muddy water. And couple that with the stab in the dark, most recent one where Matt Biolas is named as a shaper, but he admittedly had no physical hand in building the board. I don't know. You guys let me know. Anyways, enjoy the show. Keep up the work. I think you got cut off wow. right at the end, but that was awesome. That was a great, a great question and a great discussion to be had. And let me, I'll just start by saying this, that um, Jeff and Nick are, are I, I just think it's great that his dad identifies as a board builder. Cause to me, that's sort of the, the, the pinnacle, Yeah. right? The guys like Roger Hines, like Jeff Timponi, like, um, like many, 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 board builders that can do every step of the phase and do it with expertise too, you know? Um, so pick a blank, you know, put a template on it, grind it out with a planer and then begin the lamination and the sanding and all of the stuff that takes place to finish a board glassing on fins. So I think the, the top of the peak there is board builder. And then I think shaper is somebody that can shape a surfboard with a planer. They can take a, draw a template onto a blank and turn on a planer and turn the blank into a surfboard. And then there's a thing that I categorize as a designer, a surfboard designer. And that's somebody who cannot plane a blank, can make a beautiful surfboard on a computer using CAD software and have the machine spit out a really re relatively precise rough and then take a screen to it or even maybe take a planer to it. Some people plane those things, but, but screen down the blank to a place where it's time to laminate it. That's a designer. And I think that there's a, there needs to be a, uh, it needs to be known whether you're a shaper or a designer. Now it might, might not, and probably doesn't um, affect the end user, you and I, the surfboard, uh, the surfer. Um, because I've had boards that have come off of a machine. Um, have I had them by a designer? Most of the people that make my boards are shapers. In other words, I know that they started out and learned how to build surf shape surfboards with using a planer and um, doing it the old fashioned way. So that's kind of where I come in on it. And I do think it's important to, to clarify that. Yeah. And um, 
Well, yeah. yes, I do too. I think it's time that we define the terms. Yes. And that's what Nick is Nick saying, like, look, there's no authority out there who's going to define these things for us, but at least make it part of the public conversation that they need to be defined. Because they're Absolutely. not they're not all one and the same. No. And Nick didn't say it, but I know that he would um well, actually, I don't. I was going to say he might co-sign this idea, but this isn't an uh, an assessment of qualitative difference. This isn't saying that a designer's boards work lesser in the water right. than a shaper's surfboards. You yeah. know, like the boards can uh, all work great or work great in certain conditions, but this is just an acknowledgement of the type of work that's being done and the type of training that that person did to do that type of work. That's more what these terms are meant to define. And so I think that Matt Biolis was referred to as a shaper in that Stab in the Dark series because Matt Biolis is a shaper. He did not shape that specific board. That board was designed by Matt Biolis. And I thought that Stab did a good job of explaining exactly how that board came to be. They detailed all of it. But he can have the moniker of shaper because he absolutely knows how to shape a surfboard, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's what that distinction yeah, I, was. I, I agree with what you're saying. And I, and I think that we can establish ourselves as one of the voices of authority here. But, um, and so I think that we can start with those categories. We've got designer, we've got shaper and we've got board builder. And, um, and I think it might just be as clear as that. I don't know if there's any other categories, but it is important that that um, that a shaper is much more than a designer. And I'll tell you why, because a shaper can design, but a designer can't shape. Right. Yeah, exactly. So they're different parts of the brain, right? So the design kind of creative and maybe a certain amount of analytical thing going on, but the shaper is utilizing tools with your hands. There's a craftsman artisan element to the shaping aspect of it that people are gifted with or people aren't gifted with, you know, like, and so, and, and it takes a lot of time to learn as well. Like, even if you have the talent and are gifted in that way, it still takes tremendous thousands and thousands of boards to really hone that craft. And so that is the distinction I think that Nick is acknowledging is worth making is that, yeah. man, unless you really figure out, unless you have that talent and then really invest in that talent, you really shouldn't have the moniker of shaper. It's funny. A couple of things are coming to mind here. And um, one of them is if you're a surfboard designer, I would suggest to you that it deep down in your heart, you're going to want to learn how to actually shape the board with your hands. Like if you don't want to learn how to do that and kind of keep on top of that part of your game, then I'm questioning why you're even in the game. Um, now maybe, maybe that's being too opinionated. I don't well, know. I think it just, it's not too opinionated. It's just an indicator of where your opinion comes from and your past experience, you know, like you're so, um, you were so raised in that environment of the shaper that it's hard for you to understand that there are people who have come about in the last 10 years who are as interested in design and software as you are in what you're talking about. And so to them, they're like, no, I get all of my thrill out of design and refining the design. And this is the design yeah, works it, in the it, water, you know, but, it, but if I'm like, 
Hey, this is a great board that you've designed. I'm looking at it here at the surf shop. Here's a foam blank. Can you make this for me? And they can't? Then, like I said, uh, my thing is, as as that per as the guy that's the designer, I would want to be able to say, yes, I can do that. Or I can certainly try. Like, I know how to use the tools, you know? But it seems odd that you're not able to come close to replicating what your CAD software is creating. You can't do that with your hands. Like, it seems like well, you would. to you it does. Yeah, I get yeah, that. Yeah, to me. Exactly, yeah. to me. To me it does. I, I'm not well, saying I'm right. I'm just saying it seems like you would want to be able to go, yeah, I can craft you a surfboard with my hands. I can do that. You know, now well, it's yeah. way easier for me to do it on the software and I get more enjoyment out of the software and it's more efficient. But yes, I can I can do this for like it seems like you would want to be able to, to raise your hand and say, Yeah, I can do that for you. Well, you are Bob Dylan or Elton John who learned <laughs> music minute. through piano and guitar, and you're turning to some, you know, DJ. Yeah, an electronic, <laughs> an electronic producer who's never learned any instrument, who does everything digitally on a laptop, and you're saying, hey, why don't you know how to play a piano? And that DJ or producer is going, I'm going to EDM festival right now and I'm playing for a crowd of 50,000 and I'm getting paid millions of dollars. You mm -hmm. go ahead and talk about piano. I'm going to go over here and do my thing. And I have that many people who want my thing. You know what I mean? I, I think there's going to be a backlash towards, <clears throat> in general, society in general is going to, there's going to be, and we've talked about this, there's going to be an analog backlash, you know, like, um, and it's funny in my notes because Stab posted a thing about AI and how AI is going to change surfing. And they sent out a, a request to the, to their email list saying, Hey, if you got any ideas. And I thought to myself, I bet. AI is going to change CAD software forever. And it could be that the greatest surfboard designer in a, maybe as soon as five years is an AI bot yeah. that's going to design you an incredible surfboard. Yeah. And um, that wouldn't surprise me, man. Like all we need it is just more, more information for the algorithm to come up with, to be able to tap into all of these different um, CAD softwares uh, for surfboard design and just go, you want a rusty mix with a CI? No problem. Here it is. Boom. You know, what's funny. We were talking about style at some point. And a couple of weeks ago, a listener sent me an email and it said, um, AI's definition of style. I was like, oh, this will be super interesting. Like, you know, we can, we all have a very subjective definition for how to define style, but to hear what artificial intelligence, which in theory is just aggregating everybody's definition of style and spitting it back at us. I'm interested to see what this is. So I click on it. It was a YouTube link. YouTube pops up. It was Andy Irons talking about style. <laughs> really? So AI, they said AI. I oh, thought they I meant artificial <laughs> intelligence. It wasn't yeah. artificial intelligence. It was Andy Irons. That's funny. I know. And I'm like, first of all, he's the original AI. Second of all, I care more about what he says about style than what artificial intelligence does. So I'm happy here, even though I well, totally misunderstood the headline. That's actually an interesting segue to my other point that I was going to make, which is when we talk about designers and shapers, I think about a guy like Eric Arakawa, who's yeah. one of the most renowned surfboard shapers in the world. Um, he'll be the first to tell you, I don't use a planer and I haven't used a planer. I bet it's like been like 25 or 30 years. Now he learned how to shape a surfboard with a planer and I'm sure he still could, but I bet he hasn't picked up a planer in a long time. I can't speak for Eric. I'm not going to try to, but 
I know that he'll raise his hand and say, I don't, I don't use a planer and I don't want to, you know? Yeah. And, and Andy Irons and many, many, many others, including myself, will tell you that Eric Arakawa is one of the greatest shapers in the world. Yeah. Um, but so, well, you know, so again, it kind of comes down to those three categories. I so agree. Great question from Nick. And, and it's something that, um, I guess hopefully can be fleshed out a little more. And I'd like to hear from Nick and Jeff on our categories and if that's the best way to break it down. Well, I will state one more thing, just kind of as in an, in addendum to that conversation, you said a board builder is kind of at the top of the heap because they know how to shape a surfboard, but they also know how to laminate a surfboard, sand a surfboard, set the fins, all of the other construction elements. And so those are roles that are worth noting in this conversation as well. So Nick is the laminator at Tim Pony surfboards. That's a whole skill in of itself. You know, it's just yeah. the, while the shaping portion has uh, been automated to a certain degree with, or has the option of being automated to a certain degree with the CNC, the laminating portion is still done by hand. The sanding portion is still done by hand. And those are all individual roles that are worth acknowledging too. If, if well, the board builder quote, the one person with one set of hands isn't doing it, there's somebody else in the factory who is doing that job. Yeah, no doubt. And, and some would argue that the sander is perhaps the most underrated and undervalued piece of that labor. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. Well, I've got yeah. a must-see moment for you and a Duke today to bring back those old categories. Please do. You have a Duke Kahanamoku and a, a must-see moment for the week. David, go ahead. My Duke is the Robbo baby. Jack Robinson and his wife, Julia, are pregnant. And so I just think they deserve a little shout out for that. It's a banner year for Jack Robinson. Yeah. Okay. So congrats to the two of them. Yeah. Uh, uniting Brazil and Australia definitively. <laughs> um, my must-see moment, I don't know how many people are clued into this, but are you familiar with this surfer um, from Southern California, Taro, Taro Watanabe? Sounds familiar. I think he's Malibu area. Uh -huh. um, he's a, a high-performance thruster riding, 20-something, maybe 21, 22-year-old. Uh, he works with Gerlach. That's how I've kind of connected to him was through Brad. Mm -hmm. um, and Brad refers to him as Wantanabe, Taro Wantanabe, but his name to me reads Wantanabe. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But ev when it comes to style, everybody talks about Torn Martin, Asher Pacey, maybe Mason Ho, you know, Michael February. Taro is the sickest stylist that I have seen uh, in modern times who's still riding a pointy thruster. All those other people, they ride alternative boards and that are meant to kind of be more cruisy. Taro is doing the most stylish surfing on a pointy thruster out of anybody on the planet right now. It's every bit as stylish as those surfers that I named, but his but it's so high performance. And it's as high performance as any other surfer doing high performance surfing. Like he's doing these insane layback blow tail. He's doing the full club sandwich turn. But because his um, his style is so sick, he's also taking very casual lines before he goes into the most explosive maneuver. So I just encourage anybody who's not already following Taro, search Taro Watanabe on Instagram and give it a follow. Every single clip that pops up 
I stop and watch from beginning to end and marvel at and usually watch it more than once. And then makes me realize, man, I kind of want to get on a high performance thruster <laughs> and try to try to look that cool doing what he's doing. It's incredible to watch. Okay. Well, I'm just following him now. I'm taking Okay. Watch that. Watch that first clip. If you're pulling it up now, yeah. that first clip that's kind of pulled back where you could see the foreground of the beach and he's yeah. kind of doing a floater. Yeah. Watch that clip and just go, wow, those floaters are freaking sick. But then he goes into the craziest layback you've ever seen. Yeah. He's got a pretty cool little, yeah, he's bam. And like, yeah. The, Oh, club sandwich. I told you. That's Just cool. so explosive, but with the exact steez of like Tom Curran. Yeah, he's got something going there. That's great. And I mean, with Brad Gerlach giving him guidance, he's on. Brad's got a roof. Just an insane style. Probably an underrated style, Brad. Yeah. He's right and there you, with Rasta and that generation of guys. Great point. You you watch Taro and you you almost forget he's riding a thruster. And then until he does something that's so um, explosive and inverted that he could only be riding a thruster, it's really yeah. it's really impressive. You know, it felt good to ride a thruster again, that happy every day by CI that I yeah. was riding. It, thrusters are great. I mean, look, we just have shitty waves here in Southern California, so we have to ride a little wider boards. But um, when you can get on a good wave with a thruster, there's no better feeling unless you need to go really fast and then you need a quad. <laughs> yeah. Well, real quickly, talk, talking about boards and fins, uh, were you riding the NVS fins in Australia? I, or I mean, not in Australia, in the Indo? The, yeah, Dan Mann. The Dan Mann NVS. Okay. That's what I wanted to know. That backside bottom turn that I was talking about, I was like, what is the combo? So those are the, the Mankind yep. thrusters? Yep. Dan Mann thrusters. Yeah. From, cool. from NVS. Yeah, they're killer. Cool. I rode those fins uh, exclusively as thrusters for probably two or three years. And then I switched it up to the arc fins, which I've been on for a year or two. But yeah, yeah I loved those fins for sure. The Apex series ones, right? Uh-huh. Exactly. The Apex. Drive. Drive is what those yeah. are. Look, I'll be... There's no end to my vanity. There'll be more photos of me on my Instagram. Um, are you posting the board fin combo in the comments? I know I'm blowing it. I need to do that. Well, I'm posting the board. I'm not posting the fin. Oh, okay. As, as the board is important too, but I think that's, I would love to see everybody pros do it to a certain degree, especially if they're like have a sponsorship deal that they're honoring. But I would love for everybody to post the board and the fin combo with any clip. Mason always does a great job in his videos in the credits of identifying yeah. everybody's surfboard who is surfing. And I think yeah, that's, I really appreciate that. It's rad. I love when people do that. So yeah. anyways, I'm glad to hear that you're riding those mankind fins. Um, surf NVS, by the way, is their website. And of course we've been partnered <laughs> with them for years. There's no promo code anymore, but they're definitely, great. yeah, definitely buy them. They're, they're partnered with a bunch of local retailers and local, no matter where you are from Israel to, they're at Real Water Sports, a ton of Southern California stores. David, so if you look at my fin drawer right now, I literally have no more room. There's, no way. Those guys have been so generous to us regarding fins. I can't fit any more fins in my fin drawer. And the little neoprene, recycled wetsuit neoprene you see uh, these pouch ones? that they come in, too. I don't know if you can see these. I saw them before you these took them the, away. These are the custom ones that they made me. These are like are the they, Tom, Tom Carroll. Whoops, there we go. 
Tom Carroll custom. Anyway, thank you, NVS. The fins are epic. Yeah, I got mine right here too. Kraken V2s right here for the. Uh, Hell to the yes. For the uh, CI G Skate. Oh, you got the G Skate. Fuck. Yeah. There was this um, one of the surf guides out there, Zealand. Um, he was riding one of the um, round nose fishes from Lost from, from Matt. And he was ripping on that thing and it made me. It made me want one of those, you know, and the G skate, I want the G skate. They're, they're kind of similar. Yeah. Kind of too, uh, too many boards, too little time. I got so many good boards right now. It's ridiculous. Good. Good. Well, get out there, put on your drift lines and get out there. Exactly. You know, I'm pretty surfed out. I don't think I'm going into Southern California surf for at least a week. I mean, it's funny Um, how that happens, right? How you're, yeah, yeah. you get real picky. Exactly. Well, look, David, until next week, uh, great show. Adios and aloha. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.